Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1, excuse me, verse 2. It is verse 1. Apologies. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works and your labor and your patience and how you canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning. There will be an opportunity at the end of this message for you to spend some time with the Lord, as we've already done in our worship today. I want to talk to you from this title, Outside the Box. Outside the Box. Would you help me pray one more time? Father, we love you. We thank you for your spirit that we feel and the word that we've already heard this morning. We just pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts, God. I pray that you'd make them good soil. Help us to receive your word, God. Let it bring forth fruit in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen. The Lord bless you. You may be seated today. There's a fascinating verse in John chapter 2, verse 11, that says, This beginning of miracles uh, did Jesus in Cana. In other words, it's, it, it's just the beginning. And he, he took something that was powerless, water, and, and turned it into something powerful. And that, that was just the beginning. And uh, when we come to him, it's a lot in the same manner. He takes our very common lives and turns them into something that is amazing. And that's just when you get the Holy Ghost. That's the beginning. There's another verse uh, just a few down from this one where Jesus says, My hour has not yet come. It's obvious here that Jesus was on the clock, tick-tock. And timing in the Word is such a huge subject. So many of the things in the Word of God are time-sensitive, and they had to happen at very specific times. I don't believe that Jesus intended to begin his ministry at this wedding. However, he did submit to his mother and and gave them what they needed. 
It says in, in John chapter 2, verse 12, this right after he turned the, wa the water into wine, it says, after this he went down to Capernaum, and he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. You know your Bible, you know that Nazareth was supposed to be where his headquarters was placed. He was called a Nazarene. If you go to Luke chapter 4, it says that he went to Nazareth, and as his custom was, there was delivered unto him the book of Isaiah, where he read Isaiah 61. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And, and he gives this amazing lesson, and they were stunned because they said that he doesn't preach like the priests do. He teaches with power and authority. And then some wise guy in the back piped up and said, wait, just isn't that the carpenter's son? Isn't that Mary and Joseph's boy? Isn't that who that guy is? And it says they prayed for him to depart, and he did. And he went about 20 miles down the road, and he set up shop in Capernaum. In the Bible, there are 37 miracles recorded in Scripture that Jesus did. Of course, John said that he did so many that even the, the, all of the books in the world would not be able to contain. They wouldn't be able to contain. They couldn't contain them in all the books of the world. But we have 37 of them recorded in the Bible that Jesus performed. And of these 37, at least 28 of them happened in Capernaum, either in that city or in the outskirts of that city. You remember the story of the demoniacs in the scripture referred to him as Jesus of Nazareth. They said, Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to torment us before our time? Even the devils knew that he was supposed to set up shop in Nazareth, but he didn't. He went to Capernaum. I don't know about you, but my prayer is always, Jesus, please don't go down the road. We want you right here. If you're passing by, you don't have to go any further. We want you right here. Stay here with us. So he turns the water into wine. He goes back to Capernaum and he waited until Passover. And we don't have to get off into everything that happened, but there's, you know, he threw the through the tables of the money changers. He was upset. He was mad. He goes in and he cleanses the temple. It's interesting because this is at the beginning of his ministry. At the beginning of his ministry, he cleanses the temple. At the end of his ministry. He cleanses the temple. And when we're reading about all of the miracles that Jesus did, we find a certain pattern going on. Many times in the Word of God, when Jesus healed somebody, he said something to them. I don't want you to go and tell anybody else. Don't go and tell any 
anybody else. Matthew chapter 8 is the first instance that there was this leper that came to him. The Bible says a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and, and touched the man and said, I'm willing. Be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift of Moses commanded as a testimony to them. He heals this leper. Shh, don't tell anyone. No problem. You got it. Next chapter, there are two blind men. And in verse 27, they say something powerful. Jesus, thou son of David. There's only three times in the Bible that this happened. When you call Jesus David's son, that's the equivalent of saying you're Messiah. That's what these two blind men said. Jesus, thou son of David. In other words... They don't just know his name. They know who he is. It's one thing to say Jesus. It's a whole different thing to to know who he is. And these two blind men said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on us. And he healed them both. And then he charged them saying, see to it that no man know it. Now we are in Matthew chapter 12. Then the Bible says, then the Pharisees went out and had a council against him, how they might destroy him. But Jesus knew it, and he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. And then what did he do? He charged them that they should not make him known. Now you get to Mark chapter 3. The Bible says that Jesus withdrew with his disciples to take to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. And when they heard about all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, and the regions across the Jordan around Tyre and Sidon. Verse 9, because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready. Might have, to, might have to move out just a little bit. He didn't have a microphone like I have standing up here to you. Might have to row back this boat just a little bit so I can speak to everyone. The Bible says, for he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Verse 11, whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders that they should not make him no. I want you to see the progression. First, you have one man. You have a leper. Then you have two blind men. Then, 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 then from there, you have a crowd. Now you have a multitude. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And Jesus keeps saying the same thing. Don't let anyone know about this. Don't tell anyone about this. Don't speak to anybody about this. Do not make me known. Now, compare those verses that I just gave you to this one. But you shall receive power 
after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. This is the last thing that Jesus said before he left. That was the word of the Lord. Compare the word of the Lord to what the Apostle Peter says. Apostle Peter said, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who believeth. Compare it to the Apostle Paul. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation and to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why? Why did Jesus make such an effort during his time on this earth to stop? and stifle others from being a witness. And then after his resurrection, he and the apostles openly encouraged people to be a witness. And the answer is obvious. He knew that a witness would bring a crowd. He knew the power of a witness and that a witness would bring a crowd. I'm asking you this morning, do you understand the importance of the hour that we are in? Are you aware of the time that we are in? Are you dialed in? Here's here's a scripture that many of us know well, John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. What's that mean, Bryce? It means that we serve a speaking God and a speaking God must have a speaking people. When you believe something so deeply, you speak about it so boldly. In the book of Acts, there are so many verses about New Testament Christians who believe deeply that Christ was not dead, but instead alive. And because they believed in his resurrection, what did they do? They spoke boldly about it over and over and over again. I love Acts chapter 9, verse 29, speaking of Saul. And the the Bible says this, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14, the Bible says they spoke boldly in the Lord. I love the story where Peter and John were walking by the temple gate and they came across a guy that had been lame for 40 years. Everybody in this community knew who he was. They knew who, who the guy was and that he was the guy out there. And he said, hey, hey, guys, he saw him walking by. He said, hey, can you give me some money? He was a beggar. And they said, hey, silver and gold, we don't, we don't have. But what we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And miraculously, miraculously, this guy who had been lame for over 40 years suddenly could walk. Now you can you can imagine how much buzz this created in the community because everybody knew who this guy was. They knew that he was the beggar and always in need. And so everybody's doing what? Talking about it. Everybody's talking about it. Well, the Sanhedrin, they didn't, they didn't like that so much. The religious people, they didn't like the fact 
that Peter and John were talking about the resurrection. So they put them on trial and they threatened them and they questioned them and they wanted to either kill them or put them in prison. The problem is there's this guy who couldn't walk and everybody knew it and they look over and all of a sudden this guy's just up playing hopscotch. This guy is just leaping, the Bible says. So in verse 16, we get to see their inner dialogue. Religious leaders, they, they ask this question, what are we going to do with these men? I can just picture them huddled up like in a, like in a football huddle. And stuff. like, what are we going to do with these men? Like, do you have any idea where we're going to do this, men? We, 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 we don't understand what's going on. And the Bible lets us in on what they're thinking. It says, everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they've done this outstanding miracle. And then they say this, we can't deny it. Essentially, they were saying, hey, we don't believe it, but we can't deny it. We don't understand it, but we can't deny it. I don't know about you, but I love it when God does something that is so obvious that the world may look on and say, we don't really believe it. We don't really understand it, but we can't deny what is happening there. Some of you know what I'm talking about in your own life. So obvious. You were addicted and in bondage and a slave to sin and fear, and something has risen up in your heart and people look on and say you're not the same guy anymore you're not the same lady anymore other people look on and say I don't understand it but I can't deny it something has happened and the and other people look on and they say, I don't understand it, but I can't. Something has happened. And every now and then, you just get going around the things of God. And the religious people looked on and say, we don't believe it. But I'm telling you, that guy for 40 years could not walk. And he's leaping. This guy can walk and we can't deny it. Here's what happened. They said, we've got to put a stop to this. And here's what they said. To stop this thing from spreading any further. Actually, in the Bible, they says to stop it. They couldn't even say what it was. They didn't want to speak of it. They said to get it to stop, and we can't get it to uh, stop it from spreading any further among the people. They said, we must warn these men, Peter and John, to no longer do what? To speak no longer. No more speaking. You can't tell anybody else. You can't speak to anybody else. You can't speak to anyone in this name any longer. And then they called them in again. And they commanded them, commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. And oh, Brother Warren, I love their response. This is what they said. Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. 
In other words, because we believe so deeply, we are going to speak about it so boldly. And the two words in the Greek there that's translated cannot help, we cannot help but to speak those words, cannot help, they basically mean this. It's not possible. Hey, you can threaten us and you can beat us and we're still going to go on speaking. You can do whatever you want. We're going to speak a little louder. You can put us to our own death and the last words are going to be of speaking the name of Jesus. Because if you've seen what we've seen and if you've heard what you've heard, you've just got to tell it. You've just got to tell it. It's that good. He's that good. He's too good to not believe. How about that plug? If you saw the people that we were and the people that we are now, if you saw the sins that he's forgiven, if you saw what I used to look like before I met Christ, you'd have to talk about it too. You'd have to say something about it too. Do whatever you want. But asking me to stop speaking, that's impossible. We serve a speaking God. And a speaking God must have a speaking people. The book of Ephesians is an extraordinary book. Most people will say that, uh, that in the Old Testament, the book, of, the book that we get our direction from is the book of Joshua. And then in the New Testament, we talk about where do we get our direction from. It's the book of Ephesians that most will refer to. When you look at all of the other letters in the New Testament, the epistles, somewhere in that letter, there is a rebuke. Somewhere in that letter that you're reading to that church, there is a rebuke. Somewhere in there you will find where they were doing something wrong, where they were going about things wrong, where they were somewhere in that letter you will find where they didn't quite have their act together and completely together, but not the church in Ephesus. Six chapters of revelatory insight that is so far beyond every other church, every other apostolic church in the New Testament. It was an extraordinary place. But that was the beginning. Years later, John said, it's our text this morning. He's writing to the church of Ephesus. And he says, I know your works and your labor, and your patient, and how you canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and you've borne, and you've had patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you, because you left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the work, the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. When we read about this church in the beginning, 
it sounds exactly like a church where I would want my family to go. I'm reading all of the qualities. I'm reading what they have to offer. And I'm thinking my kids would love this. My family would love this. If I was looking for a church, this would be the church. The church at Ephesus, they were serious about the work of God. 65, 70 years after it began, that's what this time frame is. They're still serious about the work of God. They're still serious about holiness. They work hard. They toil. They have patient endurance. They're serious about holiness. They're doctrinally sound. They talk about false doctrine and not putting up with it. They, you know, the, the only way that you can false false teaching is if you know true teaching. That's the only way that you can spot it. And here they are. So someone shows up and they say, hey, I'm an apostle. And they're like, great, you can teach us. And they start to teach. And they're like, you're no apostle because we know what the doctrine is. We know what truth is. And what you're teaching is not true. You're a false teacher. That's the church in Ephesians. They are doctrinally sound. Listen to what he said. You are hard workers. You have patience. You won't tolerate false teachers. You're never fainted. But I got a problem. You left your first love. You left it. Your first love. Anybody remember when they were baptized? Anybody remember they got the Holy Ghost? Come on, somebody. You remember that night? A lot of you can take us to the place. I can take you to the place. I remember the night that I received the gift of the Holy Ghost. I remember all of those people in my church that would surround me in an altar and lay hands on me as I was seeking after God. I remember the moment Jesus got a hold of me. I remember that changing my life forever. I remember going to high school, and I remember wanting to set up a Bible study. This was long before they had a P7 program that give you literature that help you get up and get approval up to the principal and the superintendent. And I remember setting up my first Bible study at school, and I printed off some flyers, and I passed them out around campus. I invited my friends. I had one guy show up. And I taught him a Bible study in a bag. Who remembers Bible study in a bag? I taught him a Bible study in a bag. Amen. And that next week, I remember doing it again and passing out flyers. The second week, I had eight people show up to the Bible study. And I taught them a Bible study in a bag. I remember inviting my friends to church, come to church. I remember inviting my family to come to church. I invited my dad to come the night that I was baptized. And on the night that I was baptized, while my dad was visiting to see his son be baptized, my dad and another family member were baptized in the name of Jesus. (laughs) 
I remember those altar moments. I remember those worship services. I remember going home to a broken home and singing the worship choruses that were stuck in my head. I remember that river that was inside of me that I got to tell somebody about this. I got to tell somebody about this. I got to tell somebody. You know what that is? That is your first love. Where you get to the place where you say, I cannot afford to stay silent, but I've got to say something. I've got to say something. Jordan Peterson in his book, 12 Rules for Life, he says this, that if you've got something to say, silence is a lie. If there's something that you have to say, silence is a lie. I think we got something to say. I think we've got something to talk about. I think we've got something to share. And this is what he said. He said this, that you didn't lose your first love, you left it. You left it. You didn't lose it, you left it which means you can go back and you can get it. But he says, if you don't repent and go back to your first love, he said, I'm going to remove your candlestick. You know what that means? Do you understand what that means, church? That means that Jesus Christ would rather have a city in darkness than to have an apostolic church in that city that won't shine and won't speak and won't witness. The Lord would rather that city be lost than to have this church in the middle of this town and us not be a witness and us not be speaking and talking to people about the goodness of God. Have you forgotten what that feels like? Have you forgotten that river? Do you remember what he's done for you? Matthew 27 and 51 says, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. You know, a lot of people believe that the veil was torn from top to bottom so that it, we could be let in, but that's not the reason. It wasn't to let us in. It was to let God out. Acts 17, 24 says, God that made the world and all the things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heavens and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands. I'm grateful for this beautiful sanctuary. We have a beautiful facility here. I am grateful for this, this place that we can meet together and we can have church. This is a beautiful place, and I'm excited for the future of this church. I'm excited about the place, the plans that we have in, in place to build a new sanctuary and the sacrifices that have already gone forth. I applaud each and every one of you for those. We have some exciting things in our future, and I'm grateful that we have this place for a place to meet. But let me tell you what, in the Bible, the church, was the most dangerous when she was out on the streets. If we're not careful, this church will become just a box where we keep in the promise, where we keep in the blessing, where we keep in the revelation, where we try to contain the goodness and the message of God. 
I think it's time that we let God on the outside of the box. I think it's time that we let our experience get out of the box. Let's stop trying to contain what's going on in here. Let's stop trying to contain our experience to this four walls. Let's get back to our first love. Where we speak boldly. Where we tell those that are around what God has done for us. Go back to your first love. The majority of the miracles that happened in the book of Acts, the majority of them were on the outside of the church. It was in the city streets. It was in prisons. It was along the roadside. People sharing with others the things that God has done for them. So our music comes this morning. The culture of the company that I work for has changed in the last five, six years. And the strategy that we use in order to build relationships with our clients has changed. We started implementing some new training and without getting off into the weeds of it this morning, basically it boils down to the power of your story. The power of your story. What is that, Bryce? Well, we don't want to just go into customers and just show them these programs and these things and tell them all about these things. Hey, you'll be able to track data and you'll be able to capture this and you'll be able to get information off of this and you'll be able to do this. You can do this. You know, what we like to go in and do is we like to go in and we like to tell them what we've done for others. Testimony. Hey, do you know this company down the road? Yeah. This is what we did for them. They had this problem. We were going and this is what we did to eliminate that problem. Tell your story. Tell your story. Power of the story. I want to share a vision with you. A mental picture, I feel like, when, when we are gathered together and we're worshiping and we're fellowshipping together, it's like we all come into this place. And if you close your eyes, you could see what I'm seeing, that if this place was full of water, it's like we all come in and we put our life jackets on. And I look out in the crowd and everybody's just bobbing in the water. We got our life jacket on. Picture this place as a, just a giant swimming pool. And here's the picture and, and here's the question. Who is it in this room who can swim? Would you be able to tell who could swim and who could not swim? The answer is no. And if we're not careful, this vision is possible. Where we come in and we keep everything so safe. Where we, where we attach ourselves and, and we're kept almost afloat superficially by the people around us and the great worship songs that we sing and the clever messages that we give. 
Nothing wrong with those things. I'm a part of those things. But my question is if you take the life jacket off, can you swim? Is there something inside of you where you're like, I don't need all of these external things. Take it off. I'm going to swim today. When you're away from all of this, when you're alone, when you're by yourself with God, do you cry out to him? Is that you? Is that in you? When no one else is around, when you are outside of this box, do you go, God, I know that I have power to be your witness. And I'm not just talking about, hey, would you come to, would you come to this special service that we've got this weekend? I'm not talking about that. I think for years, we've dumbed it down. We've dumbed everything down to where Christians nowadays, they don't even know how to look another human being in the eye. You see him at Walmart. We don't even know how to. We don't have to look at. We don't even. We can't even connect. I don't even know what to say. We don't know how to look another human in the eye sometimes and tell them the greatest thing about our lives. What do we do? Hey, why don't you come to my church and hear, hear my pastor preach? And I love our pastor. We heard a phenomenal word this morning. I was like, let's go, altar call, let's do it now. But that's what we do. Hey, come, come hear this guy. Come hear this guy. You got to hear this guy. Come hear him speak about a thing this weekend. And I'm not trying to take away from that experience, not in the slightest. Rather, what might happen? If I share my story about the greatest thing that's ever happened to me with a lost soul on the outside of this box. You see, Satan loves what we do when I just enacted there. Satan loves that because he knows that if you actually believed in the power within you, that you have the power to look at another human being in the eyes, your friends, your family, your coworkers, and tell them the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. And you believe that you can be his witness. But as long as you keep believing, no, I need somebody else. I need somebody else beside me. I need this life jacket. I need my brother rice life jacket. I need my Sunday school life jacket. I need my youth pastor's life jacket. long as it's like that and we are kept afloat by all of these other things and you don't realize you can swim you need to realize you can swim you can be a witness you have the power inside of you. You see, Satan knows that when we really become the church and we start looking at our brothers and our sisters in the eye and realize the power that's inside of us, the world is going to believe it. Scripture talks about that when we're unified like that, they'll see their destruction. 
And Satan knows that. Satan knows if they start doing that, if they start getting outside of the box, if they start realizing the power that's in with Simon, he recognizes that the gates of hell, they don't even stand a chance. Stand with me if you would. It's time to get outside of the box. I believe with all of my heart that we are going to see the miraculous take place in our homes with some of our lost family members. I believe it's going to be out on the sidewalk, somebody, that you're going to be able to pray with somebody. I believe that some of you are going to go to some family reunions and you're going to lead a lost family member in a prayer of repentance and lay hands on them and witness them receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Where you come into a church and you say, Pastor, Pastor, I got to tell you what happened. I got to tell you what happened in my house the other day. I got to tell you what happened. I believe that. I claim that. I believe that. That's, the, that's a New Testament church where we are on the streets, where we are out. I'm grateful for the experiences that we have in here. But we've got to stop containing God to a box and let him get out of here. How can I do that, Bryce? How can I do that? Go back to your first love. <laughs> Go back to your first love. Return, 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 return to your first love. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.